0: Only argument that I hear from some craft brewers is it's bad for the beer. You know, it it just denies all of the other compromises that they're making.
1: Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on the 12th of May 2022. This week, I'm your host, Sabrina Kunz. Um, and I am joined by senior journalist Claire Burnett.
2: All right, Sabrina.
1: Um, and special guest this week, all the way from COVID isolation, <laughs> our fearless leader, Matt Kierkegaard. Good hey.
0: morning all. <laughs> hey, how are you guys?
1: Good. Good.
2: Yeah, good thanks. We missed you, Matt.
0: Oh, I missed you guys. It was oh. a long, it, it's, it's been a long trip and it's suddenly been extended by another week oh. to like see your smiling faces.
2: Oh, but it's nice to stay in your gym jumps for a bit though. <laughs> After a week of like, it looked Hard work. Well, not hard work. It looked fun, but, like, lots going on.
0: I and, mean, look, I, I, no doubt we'll uh, below the fold it, but, mm. yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting. I, I think a combination of international travel after a couple of years and just, you know, the biggest craft beer event in the world and, you know, a whole lot of other things going on. It was a, it was a huge, huge week, um, and it's going to have a legacy for a number of Australian for, – for most of the Australian brewers from the sound of it who have returned uh, with a little extra in their um, – Carry on back. <laughs> Little special COVID. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, right, well, with that, we are going to go- turn over to Claire at the Bruise News HQ news desk. And so, Claire, Forex enters no alcohol space.
2: Indeed, it does. Uh, so, Lion's Forex has announced an alcohol free version, Forex Zero. According to Lion, Forex Zero is an easy drinking lager made with Australian barley malted in Queensland and using Nelson Sauvin hops. Uh, the announcement highlights Forex as a later entrant to the no alcohol space with brands like Heineken, uh, Carlton, and more recently Great Northern also making moves into the market, which has um, raised questions about brewers using existing brands to leverage their no-alcohol versions.
1: No doubt we'll be talking about that below the fold. Good Drinks set to exceed volume targets. It
2: has indeed. So uh, Good Drinks, that is the owner of Gage Roads, Brewing Co, and Matzo's, among a few other brands, announced it had maintained growth momentum for the first half of the year despite challenging... Q3 market conditions. Sales by volume grew in all areas except brand in hand, as you might expect, where it stayed steady at 600,000 litres. National chain volumes grew 17% to two, uh, to 3.5 million litres. Independent retailers and draft sales also grew. Uh, in the year to date, it's grown its total volume 18% to 15%. 0.1 million litres, which um, it means it's well on track uh, to exceed the 18.8 million litres it's predicting for the full year.
1: Looking forward to getting over to Gage Roads in June. Um, Barrett Bernston Wastewater Recycling saves one billion litres.
2: So Barrett Burston Malting, I'm sure you will have heard, um, they've achieved a major milestone following the implementation of wastewater recycling technology. Uh, so they've had re- this recycling technology in the um, in the whole uh, plant for a number of years now. I believe it's about 10 years now. Uh, But they've had to do a lot of fixing, a lot of amending, a lot of work on that equipment to ensure that it's really working at its optimum. And uh, now it's saved 1 billion litres of water, so big milestone in that one. Uh, It's been working with engineers at Permeate Partners to resolve those issues. And uh, it's just an interesting sort of segue into our what we do with wastewater in the brewery, uh, what are what the requirements are from the utilities companies, and also what we should do as just responsible members um, of the community. So um, yeah, there's a few interesting bits and pieces in there about wastewater recycling and also pH correction as well.
1: Cool. Looking forward to that chat. Um, and you did a bit of a deep dive on the challenges of being a parent in the brewing industry.
2: Yeah, and this one was like a hard one to write, actually. I hadn't realised um, when I started it the sort of extent and of the variable experiences people have had um, in this space. I kind of went through parenting, but actually it's going to have to turn into a series because it ended up being quite a bit bigger than just well parenting in general, how many other issues can you cover? Uh, So I really focused on parental leave on this one. Uh, It's really important in the, um, you know, one of the aims of the Independent Brewers Association's 10-year roadmap um, was to ensure the industry is recognised as an employer of choice, um, bringing in a diverse range of talent. So focusing on these employment issues will be um, so important in attracting and retaining talent in the industry. But from parental leave and flexible working hours, pregnancy related role changes, breweries have are are a bit spotty. Um, There's no uniform way of dealing with any of these issues. But if we want to keep people in the industry, we are going to have to engage with this. Uh, So I interviewed a few parents in the brewing industry who shared their experiences. Um, And as I say, very different depending on their role and and the type of business that they're in.
1: Fascinating rabbit hole to go down, isn't it? I I
2: could have written way more on that. I was like, 2,500 words, let's stop there. (laughs) Uh, We've also seen the uh, WA Beer Week events have uh, been launched. So go and check out those events for our WA Beer Week. That's June the 3rd to the 12th uh, so hopefully we'll see you there. Some really amazing events scheduled for WA Beer Week.
1: Now coming to a couple of articles that um, come out of Matt's reporting from CBC in the US and um, our coverage from there was proudly supported by Rallying's label stickers and packaging who you will no doubt hear about a little bit later on
2: so um an interesting one this week uh, from straight from CBC over in the US uh, leading US Brewer Garrett Oliver um, said at the CBC that um, alcohol-free beers represented a philosophical and emotional challenge and not just a technical one for him as a brewer he was speaking as part of the panel discussion there and um, and he said that his initial scepticism regarding no alcohol beer, despite that, um, he has embraced them and that the industry should as well. There was also some um, discussion of uh, THC infused beers as well, which is a trend that I know that Australian brewers have been keeping an eye on, um, not actually available in Australia at the minute I believe that's illegal (laughs) Um, so don't do it guys Uh, but uh, yeah an interesting trend coming from the US uh, and we might see more um, in relation to that in coming years as well Uh, and another big uh, news story from the CBC was that there's a number of Aussie brewers who secured wins at the World Beer Cup. Urban Alley won a bronze medal for its uh, slapshot Australian style pale ale. Uh, Stone and Wood secured a silver slot for its Green Coast lager and Bucketty's brewery in um, Brookville New South Wales very new brewery that we've covered um, just in the past year or two uh, they also secured bronze for their session beer um, Bucket East Pale Ale number no. two so congrats to all the winners for that one that's an amazing achievement um, for Australian brewers to have won considering there were um, what 2,500 nearly breweries represented yeah um, amazing achievement um, so well done to them
1: and that is the news that you need to know if you work in the brewing industry in Australia. And so, as Matt says, if you would like to get on with your day or your week or your brew schedule, um, now is the time to check out and we'll speak to you next week. Um, and now we're going to go below the fault. Welcome back, Matt. Joining Thank us you very now much, guys. to chat Thank you. about the articles that you need to know. Should we just start at the top? Well, first of all,
0: I'd just like to say congratulations to you guys on last week. Um, as, As I said, it was actually a pleasure for me to actually listen to the finished product as opposed to be part of the sausage mating um, <laughs> for, for a change. And uh, you did a great job. And oh, uh, the, the yeah. new kid did pretty well too.
2: Oh, uh, he's great.
1: Ian was so Thanks, lovely. Ian. Yeah, Ian's so lovely. And it was a bit stressful, I have to tell you. We panicked a little bit. Well, by we, I mean me. <laughs> um, she was like, I hope I get the ads in. <laughs> I, I, 367 episodes of Matt Kierkegaard as host. Mm. Um, I know there was a few in there when it was James, but, you know, that's there's some big shoes to fill there, Matt. He's blushing now. It makes him so you uncomfortable. you say that?
0: But it was seamless. So oh, it was yeah. Seamless as That's a Rawlings label.
1: Egg. woo! <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, okay, so Forex enters Noelk space. Any thoughts, team? <sighs> Late to the
2: party, guys. On that
1: one.
0: Well, Forex is one of the biggest brands in in the country. Um, you know, it it for. For a while, it was duking it out with VB to be the biggest. Um, Now, Great Northern has taken that mantle, but Forex is still there. And it's always a huge decision to add a line extension to Forex. Um, And I I mean, I can only remember maybe four in in, in my career writing about beer, and some of those actually predate the career. But, you know, they launched Forex Gold in 1992. um, that really, really drove the mid-strength market in Australia. Australia has, has has the leading mid-strength market in the world, I believe, um, you know, of, of that 3.5% 3.5, yep. mainstream lager. Um, so they're always going to be a little bit cautious before they just throw a product in. Um, you know, we, we saw them have Forex Summer Bright a yeah. couple of years ago that didn't ever really flourish and then uh, they, they had Forex Dry –
1: didn't
0: um, they do an ultralight? They, they it was... did do it, uh, an ultralight back in the day. That was, yeah. see, and from this was a little bit before my time, but having spoken to some of the brewers who were there, at, who were part of this, in mm-hmm. the 80s when drink driving laws changed and, you know, Australia was one of the biggest beer consumers in the world, we had to find a way to, you know, they're a volume business. And so when yeah. your business is built on selling a certain, you know, million litres a year, You don't just go well. Drink driving laws are changed. People are going to drink less. It's how do how do we keep volumes up? Um, Because otherwise, our business is going to go backwards and And make it
1: safer for everyone. Presumably, there was some altruism baked in there as
0: well. (laughs) I'm not sure about that. The 80s. If you can make money and appear altruistic, I guess that's the hard thing You know I'm always glass it.
1: half full yeah. in terms of yeah. positive intentions. What's
0: the yeah, positive intentions what? version of greenwashing? I think the <laughs> altruism comes second to the making money. You know, if, if, if you can make <laughs> money, yep. if, if you can appear altruistic whilst making money, then that's you're great. sort of in your purple patches of business. So, I, I, without drink driving laws, no. Business was going to say, hey, let's lower the alcohol in beer just because it's good. Um, so, or, or because it may help people who are drinking because there was such resistance um, to it happening. So, anyway, I mean, yeah, So a long story. So, it's, it's probably no surprise now that there is such a focus on alcohol free that the biggest brand wants to be there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it succeeds, It's going to be really, really interesting. But they have to play. It's one of those challenging things. Can
1: I take the slightly altruistic view on it again? I was speaking to a bartender at Gab's on the weekend and he said, I come from rural Queensland where there is no craft beer, uh, where everybody drinks Forex. Yep. And so –
0: Do they still, though? So so, that's interesting. Every time I've been out there, it's been Great Northern. Forex mm. is is the brand if you're over 50 –
1: maybe maybe but so his po- his point was i think that you know um it is still such a you know if we're in the beer bubble it is still for parts of regional queensland at a minimum and and probably elsewhere in the country sort of one of the leading brands including for as you point out you know men over 50 but of a certain demographic maybe not in cities and actually isn't it great that a brand that is meets that part of the market mm is promoting an alternative that is healthier. So do you know what I mean? Like I love know, that your <laughs> glass half full <laughs> today. Again, well, it. And,
0: and look, it, it, it's terrific that they are, but yeah. they're not doing it because they want to. I,
1: I um, understand that, but I think, so maybe that's true, um, but, but market forces have caused them to do this, but actually isn't that a good thing for creating a... Um, more safe, more sustainable brewing industry by helping people to provide alternative choices. And maybe Fred from Blackall wouldn't have picked up a um, a better beer or a Sidewinder or a Naught or a Heaps Normal or a Sober, but maybe he'll give a non-out Forex a crack because Forex is familiar and safe.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the, the, good, right? So, so that's a good so, Okay. Thing. So, that's the positive that accidentally falls out of this, is, would be my argument. <laughs> that's it, fine. You, I'm you just know.
1: highlighting. Oh, no, absolutely. And,
0: and low alk is great um, for, for, for that reason. I, I guess, you know, same with the green credentials of this. It's, you know, zero carb. I, I, I can see why over the last couple of weeks we've seen Forex uh, and, and line pushing their um, zero carbon um, emissions, yep. which, again – You know, depends on how you slice the cake um, because the cost, the the carbon emissions involved in getting it to market aren't factored in. Um, But again,
1: everybody's got to start somewhere on their journey. Everybody's
0: got to start somewhere. The journey of a thousand miles, surely it's better if they are doing this than they're not. But let's not, it's good, but they want to take a lot more credit then they probably should. As you said, it's the market. People are demanding that they do this. They're not doing this because some manager said, you know what, the world needs us to be better. Um, It's kind of like, you know (laughs) what, people are demanding that we're going to be better and we're going to be left behind if we don't improve, which is a very, very different mindset driving a business. Um, You know, doing something when you're forced to and then making a big song and dance about it is very different from actually leading and saying, we're going to do it no matter what because it's the good thing to do.
1: Well, that rolls very nicely into our next article, which is Barrett Burstyn, who have for 10 years been working on... A wastewater, which is um, both a business imperative and a good to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, Claire, you dug pretty deeply into wastewater.
2: Yes, and I said to Matt when I wrote it as well, I was just like, actually, this is probably a really boring topic, but it's quite interesting. What well, even into
0: before it. you go in, because <laughs> yeah. this is one of those stories that <laughs> lands on our desk. You know, we get, as I say, you know, we, we get a hundred and something media releases a week. Where people are telling us how awesome they were, and this was just something that was kind of, not even from the brewing industry. It was Mm Permian Partners of saying, "Hey, we've done this in the in in the brewing industry." And when you look at the amount of water they've saved, and you also look at the, you know, beer isn't great for the environment as bad as it is to say that. Particularly when you look at the amount of water that's used in the malting process, quite even before you you agriculture and things, and. If, we, if we're really going to make a difference, these are the things we need to change. And so, later, what was a potentially boring media release, given Claire had been doing some excellent reporting on sustainability. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I said, look, what, what do you think of this? And she dug into it and became a major <laughs> research project. So um,
2: I went too far. I'm sorry about
0: that. No, no, no. It, 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 it's that's what we do. That, that's, yeah, that, yeah. So um, they, these are the stories that we actually invest yeah. time in.
2: And it was really interesting because obviously Barrett-Burston's massive, so what they've done is like a big lagoon, big biomass thing, and like that all gets reused and stuff, but there are ways to scale that down. Mm. So a lot of people now have a massive bill from their utilities company, huge whopping bill because every all their wastewater goes untreated to yeah wherever their um, treatment facilities are, and then they have to mess about with the ph remove particulates all that kind of stuff and that's why you get such a big bill if you can do it at your end of the process you cut down on that bill you cut down on the transport the emissions and everything related to the transport of the water from your brewery to the treatment plant um and yeah i mean let's be fair if we're going to talk about the whole finances versus sustainability benevolence then that's a little bit of both
1: <laughs> I spent a lot uh, quite a bit of time on this in New Zealand a few years ago um, particularly because each regional council is responsible for their own wastewater and wastewater mm-hmm. treatment and so what we were finding were the bills, the costs for breweries in different parts of New Zealand were extremely varied and then also the rules around what was expected of you Mm -hmm. were also Mm -hmm. really varied which made it really difficult as an association to come up with sort of here's how you can manage this and again the rural versus um, urban breweries have a really different set of needs but the one thing that that is consistent and the best piece of advice is if you are building a brewery really think about wastewater at the bi- at the time of construction oh, yeah. and what you can do, mm-hmm. as you say, Claire, to to take on any of these um, saving or treatment as you are constructing your facility because trying to build that yep. in later...
2: Retrofitting can be really difficult. A- and
1: you don't have the space because actually mm-hmm. you need... And so um, that is the number one bit of advice was think about wastewater from the beginning. Yep. Um, and then... You know, the wastewater takes you down, you know, solar and so on and so forth because Mm -hmm. you need to connect it all up as a system. And so um, it is one of those things that is can be a huge cost Mm -hmm. to the brewery itself financially. But as you say, Matt, you know, there's four ingredients in beer and we use an extraordinary amount of water. And in a country like Australia that often uh, doesn't have a whole lot of water, you know, we see significant drought times. It is Mm -hmm. one of the main areas that we can address
2: and Mm. like there are smaller options as well because like i say the wastewater thing is big if you want to recycle it completely or as much as you possibly can. But like pH correction, and what I really liked about this is that it just shows that smaller brewers, Deep South and Spotty Dog in Tasmania, um, I mentioned in particular, they worked with um, some engineers called Chromarty and they invested in like a cheaper, small scale Mm -hmm. pH correction system, all automated dosing, um, all testing and everything. Like you don't have to do anything manually. And the fact that those guys who have just built... are building their own breweries are thinking about it at that yep, stage exactly. is really cool and impressive and just shows that you know we are a small industry and we don't necessarily have the resources but we can do innovative things and bring these technologies in from other industries
0: and use them to our benefit as well yeah but hooks brewing uh did, oh, the just, same. It, mm. did, yeah so so their focus on water um treatment um you know and and what they were doing was you know really impressive and and they were so proud of it and uh you know so i hope you don't mind me saying this but probably um a dry topic (laughs) 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 Um, uh, but it's certainly one worth reading because these are you know thought processes and technologies that need to um, find their way right down the um, scale of brewing, them, and no matter how big you are.
1: And I think what this article highlights is for anyone in the industry that wants advice on this is there are um, places, you know, this article provides a list of um, names that you can go to, to get mm-hmm. advice on this, both breweries and um, supply chain partners. Um, so, you know there are solutions out there, as you point out, Claire, that are scalable. So you can you can find the information. Mm-hmm. So another um, kind of meaty topic. <laughs> oh
2: yeah! Oh my
1: god! The, the This is why
0: Claire is our senior journalist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, the challenges of being a parent in the brewing industry.
2: Um. Yeah. God. Right. So <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> now I. Disclaimer, everyone. I am not a parent myself. It's just, Yep. Lots of parent, my friends are. Sabrina, you are. Yes, yeah, um, I'm a parent in the Matt, obviously industry. you are. Um, so I just, I see it from like an outsider's perspective, how much of a struggle it looks, how hard it is to be a parent anyway. And then... Added that added layer of working in the brewing industry that has crazy shifts and you have to go to events and yeah. like all that and it just popped into my head. I know mean, it's been on the agenda for a while that to tackle this, we just weren't a hundred percent sure how. But I sort of put the feelers out there and posted in a few groups and emailed a few people um, that I knew, and some of the things that came back were like really shocking to me actually. Uh, so I. Uh, for for anyone who's read it you'll know that um and we don't usually do this at Brews news we usually like to attribute our sources um it's about journalistic integrity and transparency but in this case uh i was happy to let this lady be anonymous um because she's still in the brewery where her she'd experienced all this but i was really happy that she shared this with us because it needs something that needs to be discussed yeah um and that was a really poor experience and something that I hope that there aren't that many women or men out there in terms of um, parental leave who have had to deal with that um, and that kind of alienation from the business just because you chose to be a parent you shouldn't be ostracized or treated poorly in the brewing industry uh, and I sort of wanted to tie it into um, the independent brewers uh, tenure roadmap because one of the really um, important things for me and that was that they want the industry to become an employer of choice and bring in a diverse range of people. And like I say, there's there's no way you can have a diverse range of people if you don't make it welcoming in lots or of... yeah a diverse range <laughs> of people. Funnily enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it was really I was really sad to hear that that was the case. Um, and not everyone had had a good experience in that kind of thing. Obviously, parental leave, um, you get a certain amount um, stipulated by the government and they'll pay you pretty well, not well uh, for that uh, parental leave period, but lots of employers do kind of the bare minimum. Um, and this is across the board. This isn't just brewing industry. Yeah. They do the absolute bare minimum. Like, yeah, fine, you can have four months worth of government leave or um, whatever it was. Uh, and you can, we're not going to make up your pay, like whatever. That's fine, but that is by a minimum like do better
1: (laughs) well this is I mean it just highlights you know we've talked about it previously we at Brews News I Sabrina have been banging on for some time that the biggest issue facing the brewing industry or one of the biggest issues facing the brewing industry is talent Um, lack of skilled resources across a number of roles in the industry and um, you did that discussion around attracting and retaining a brewer Uh, and you know that point is that we need to welcome more people into the workforce in craft beer and make it craft beer quote um, and make it a an attractive place to work and some of these challenges faced by small businesses of any type but in particular on that um, physical labor side of the mm-hmm. brewing related jobs make it really difficult in particular as highlighted in this article um pregnant women mm-hmm. you know um, and so yeah, you know, if we want to diverse if we want to make sure that we have enough talent to run our industry, based on the growth, I mean the numbers in um, that ten-year roadmap from the IBA were huge in terms of total employment. Um, you know, we can't alienate fifty percent of our workforce, mm-hmm. potential well, workforce. Although,
2: um, like I hope that I didn't sort of say, oh, you have to do this, this is the way it should be, because I, like we know that breweries are tend to be on the smaller side, um, time poor. Time Um, poor. Don't necessarily have the resources. Probably would worry a lot about having to cover someone who left on parental leave. Like that is a massive challenge. But we are getting bigger as an industry and that's why we need to tackle these things now rather than five years, ten years down the line when we're like, oh, actually, everyone we're leaking people from the industry because we aren't making this a good place to work.
1: And you can do it collaboratively, right? Like it might be, you know, that's the whole point of sort of smaller breweries working in concert where they can, which is, you know, you might offer... um, Somebody may take 12 months parental leave. You need to backfill that role. You decide right we want to retain both of those people but we can't afford them at the end of it okay we'll put somebody on secondment to another small brewery that needs someone like there's a way that as an industry we can get creative to make sure we keep talent within the industry by working together and Mm -hmm. that's sort of where i think the gold dust you know has potential yeah absolutely and it was nice to see
2: that some people had good experiences um obviously lion as we say they're a company with lots of resources that can do this and maybe that's something that the the smaller medium maybe more like medium breweries can work towards is something a little bit closer to what emma emma murphy at um lion experience very much hands-on very much keeping them in the loop as part of the business looking at them for promotion looking at them for training even during parental leave um not just saying all right see you later see you in nine months six months or 12 months or whatever um keeping them part of the business uh that goes a long way for them to feel welcome back and for you to also keep them in the business and keep them in the loop with the, what's going on.
1: And increasingly, you know, the large organisations are encouraging, you know, the partners, the non-child carrying partner to take parental leave mm-hmm. and, uh, and take time away with the child, which is another big step towards yep. sort of evening out the impact. Yeah. Um, but Claire, this was just on parental leave mm-hmm. and you're – as you said, you've sort of unearthed a whole series of things that you're probably going to take a look at over Mm -hmm. the coming year, right?
2: Yeah, so I was thinking a few bits and bobs. um, So, like, flexibility of working, because if you can be flexible, then you can share the division of labour with your partner, even whether they're in the industry or not, as well as you. Um, And, like, how do you practically implement that in the brewery. I know people have, we've already talked about our four day brew weeks and flexible shifts and um, job shares and things like that. Um, So potentially something like that. But if anyone's got any um, info, wants to talk about it,
0: let me know. Great article. Um, And one of my great pleasures is reading in my own publication (laughs) um, articles that, you know, interest and challenge and, uh, you know, surprise me. Um, And, you know, Sabrina, well, actually both Sabrina and Claire have both been talking about um, issues of diversity um, this year and diversity of boards. And Sabrina certainly has, uh, you know, built a soapbox uh, around that in the the, the nicest possible way. But it has been, um, you know, a topic that Sabrina has really um, uh, highlighted highlighted this year. (laughs) Looking at, you know, diversity of boards isn't just to be diverse boards, but it's diverse thinking and some of the challenges That you will tackle better or differently if you have a diverse um and this was an article that you know four or five years ago when it was pretty much just me um or james or pete um would never have been written um because none of us were wired to think the challenges um that this article brings out and to me it really highlights why a business needs to have a wide range of thoughts and opinions um, looking at the industry because it creates, you know, important uh, content like this in, in in my business's case. So yeah, um, it, 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 on, on a couple of levels, it really uh, challenged and, and brought a lot home to me. And so I think when some of our listeners who have, you know, given mixed feedback about some of the <laughs> topics that we've, um, you know, and w- w- which is great um, because we do want a diversity of opinions. Um, but, the importance of this article and the importance of this to the industry um, highlights, you know, e- even in the, the case of my business, why a diverse range of viewpoints um, is, is is very important.
1: And, and oh, to that point, like that. Matt, um, these discussions are happening all over the brewing industry. Whether you like it or not. Whether you like <laughs> it or not, exactly. And, and in pockets where... Um, you know, you you as a business might not be tapping into. And so actually to elevate these so that it becomes part of a national conversation around how do we create a space for a workforce that is all of the things that we want it to be, that welcomes all people to our industry to both work in and drink in, um, you know, that's that's the point of these, these kinds of articles and hopefully that means, you know, along with the IBA, um, these discussions now sort of happen a bit more out in the open, um, which is great.
2: Yeah, And one of the things that came from that as well is that, well, apart from the fact that I got dozens of emails when I put the feelers out, yeah. which shows that people do really care about it. That's what it, I mean, it's happening. Um, yeah, but I also think that what came from it is that people don't necessarily feel that there are resources out there that they can turn to that makes it easy to understand how to apply for parent leave if you own your business how to um, talk to your how and when to talk to your employer if you want to or need to take Oh, parental that's leave.
1: a huge one where
2: where are the resources for that like obviously there are general ones like the fair work Ombudsman and I put the link to it in there but like is there a way that we can do that and maybe we should do that as part of like our submission to the IBA or yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe drop Kylie line, see what she's saying
0: <laughs> um but yeah so. I'm just gonna say <laughs> one more thing about that as well is You know, I look at the engagement on social media and things with uh, so many of our articles, Um, and, you know, I often talk about the small data points, the, you know, everyone looks at the the, the big shouty numbers. But some of the quiet numbers for me that really shows the importance of this article is I look at the engagement, the the number of people this article reached um, compared to our, you know, run-of-the-mill articles mm-hmm. and the amount of commentary or the numbers of yep. comments on it, which is, I think, two, um, <laughs> that were both positive. Yeah. And yet, um, there's a lot of engagements um, on it. It's been shared. That, to me, says there are a lot of people who are engaging with the idea of it, but don't want to speak up. Um, and mm. I think that's something that the industry needs to take note of and start Asking why, because sometimes it's the uncomfortable ick issues that people read, um, people share, but they don't necessarily want to be seen as commenting on for a whole range of reasons.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree.
2: Yep, totally. It is, and I always see that it's really interesting. Like Matt says, the data points. Like we've had loads of people click through to the website on that, but like you say, I think we've only got three comments now and that, but loads of people liked it. Loads of people
1: have talked about it. I've already got emails about it. So it. I think people are chewing it over. So, and, mm. uh, and it's the same comment that I'll make that maybe that we made just over 12 months ago when we did the podcast about um, sexism issues. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an, another topic that can be, that can feel quite challenging to discuss. So, you know, if you're a male brewery owner, do you do you talk to your staff about whether they want to have children or not? Mm-hmm. You know, like th- there are just so many minefields that it can feel overwhelming to mm-hmm. start the conversation and as a result the conversation doesn't happen. Everybody has different approaches. So, you know, it comes back to... Um, courageous conversations Mm -hmm. starting those difficult conversations in your workplace have no idea where it might go right and so um it's this it's that same topic which is if people are now find a safe space to have to use a um activisty term Mm -hmm. um to have that conversation then that that's actually a good thing exactly so turning from something that maybe turned a bit heavy there <laughs> um, yes. to Ooh, something gosh. quite a bit lighter. Um, WA Beer Week events are on in maybe Ooh. just a month's time. Yep, yep. Um, to... And I don't know, Matt, do you know how many years WA Beer Week has been running? It's
0: I don't offhand, but it's it's mm. WA has been one of the, uh, yeah, a lot of places claim to be the birthplace of craft beer, but WA certainly has a very real, Claim to that, and yep. it's always the the WA Brewers Guild has or Brewers Association has always been one of the really really dynamic forces for brewing and 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 activist associations.
1: It certainly feels like it's been one of the um, mainstays in terms of events around the country, um, and that has got a very distinct flavour from some of the other events that that happen on our calendar. But because of it being a bit further away, it's always been sort of a pretty big week. So, um, Matt, you and I are heading out there for the conference um, and hopefully some of the events that take place around that. So it um, should be a big week in WA, and it's exciting to be able to travel, although oh, I know you're ex- still... <laughs> <laughs> although <laughs> although I've like over, over it already, but I'll, I'll it's going to be...
0: Well, uh, uh, at least I, don't, I can travel, hopefully, without worry. Yeah, that's anything. it. And, uh, so,
2: you never know, sweet. though. WA's getting hit hard at the minute, I think, on COVID cases. <laughs>
1: You might uh, get it again, Matt. The
0: proof now. I've got six weeks. For your <laughs> oh, you're time, okay apparently. for a bit. All right, thanks. See, <laughs> yeah. see so for
1: a little while. So, speaking of travel, Matt, your recent travel and coverage of CBC was sponsored uh, by our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. Um, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging are able to not only supply labels for your cans or bottles, but they also can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap. Deckles, barcodes and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. The guys often get asked where would the brewery buy a shrink sleeving machine to apply the sleeves to the cans but this is not needed. The cans come to your door palletized and ready to fill, nothing more to do. Give them a call on 1300 852 235 or find them in the News Business Directory or links in any of the recent articles from CBC coverage. So thanks to Rowling's labels. And so, Matt, CBC. Yeah, yeah come look, on. And, and, this is what we're
0: really yeah, yeah, yeah. As we said, thanks to <laughs> Rowling's for um, you know, giving me the resources to go to CBC so you didn't have to and catching <laughs> COVID so you didn't have to. Um, <laughs> um, but, it, look, it, it, was, it was my first time there and anyone who's been there will probably roll their eyes a little bit because it is just – When I say this, it is just so big. It is a monumental trade show and um, conference program. Fascinating to see the resources uh, devoted to the trade show, particularly like you've got whole brewing kits and things um, that we're just starting to see at uh, BrewCon here. So that that was one whole side of things. Um, One of the things that really stood out to me, uh, there's usual things, but um, I wrote an article on the craft pasteurisers we are starting to see craft pasteurizers um, come down to the scale that, as uh, Cody said, will probably do for the brewing industry what um, canning did. Um, so that was an interesting thing that I noted. Um, and actually, the other interesting thing that I noted talking about feedback on articles, it had a big engagement, <laughs> but then the number of people sort of saying, oh, I'll never pasteurise, yeah, yeah. you know, it ruins your beer. And I'm look- going to
2: make a note of that, Matt, for future reference. <laughs> well... <laughs>
0: This has been my thing. Look, I don't have a dog in the hunt about pasteurizing. But as somebody who rankles a little bit at inconsistent thinking, um, you know, or, 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 or people who market something and then, you know, change when it suits them, as if th- I'd never believed that. Pasteurizing <laughs> has always been too expensive for craft brewers. Mm-hmm. And yet the number of things that we've seen, you know, in terms of adjuncts and, you know, you know, the whole seltzer movement the brewers, who's proudly proclaimed to be craft brewers, have jumped on, despite everything about seltzers being completely ant- antithetical to um, the, 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 the mindset that drove craft brewing in the first place. You know, which is fine, but at least acknowledge the change in attitude and pasteurizing is going to be one of those things, I think a lot of craft brewers can safely say, I'll never pasteurize because it's a choice that they're not going to have to make because pasteurizers have been too expensive for them to worry about. But when they couch it in terms of, I'm not going to pasteurize it because pasteurizing ruins my beer. And yet some of these (laughs) same (laughs) brewers are making beer in, you know, fairly rustic craft um, environments.
2: That is a very diplomatic way of saying
0: that. Well, (laughs) committing it to packaging that they don't entirely control, Mm -hmm. um, sending it in a warm supply chain, putting it, you know, a much longer best before date on it than they would if they, you know, if they weren't beholden to retailers and, you know, then seeing a whole lot of problems in trade, you know, when, when you see, all of those levels of compromise to get their beer into market. And yet the line in the sand for them is a compromise that will actually improve the marketable quality of their beer. (laughs) If there's potentially a slight, you know, um, detriment to the flavor and even that is disputed um, from everyone I've spoken to.
1: Matt, can I just add something to that? I was talking to a brewer uh, the other day about, what appears to be my latest hobby horse around um, the challenges uh, serving the large retailers. The discussion went down the path of um, that the expectations of quality um, and sort of stability of product, <laughs> I, I guess is the best way to frame that, um, from the large retailers is increasing and in a circumstance where they are looking for any reason to derange you, the um,
0: and they and are going right. to be looking for higher
1: quality <laughs> products. And so yes. I, I come back to it may be that breweries uh, don't, just like they didn't want to change their labelling, just like they didn't want to change their artwork, just like they didn't want to put on a, a six-month best before date, they would rather have a three-month best before date. Actually, we could see that it's the duopoly of large retailers that is going to push quality expectations Um which may necessitate medium-sized craft breweries and even small craft breweries who want to be nationally ranged in lunch retailers to take a look at something like pasteurisation. So mm. it's this really fascinating, um, you know, tail wagging the dog um, in terms of how, it's, how, how that might roll out. So uh, a, brewer, a brewery here that I was talking to at Gab said, you know, they are starting to implement major quality Uh, production changes in their brewery to make sure that they are keeping pace with retail expectations.
0: Yep. And and look, that's not to say that if you don't pasteurise, you shouldn't be distributing your beer. That's that's that's, not it at all because that's not what I'm saying. But when the only argument that I hear from some craft brewers is it's bad for the beer – you know, it it just denies all of the other compromises that they're making. So, you know, that's one, it's just the hypocritical stance of many in in the craft brewing industry. But then, as you say, anything that's coming out of um, Brick Lane that is being made for, you know, which is, I think, some of the best beer in the country in terms of a certain, you know, in in terms of quality parameters, um, that's being made for the big retailers is pasteurised. And, you know, they don't want to be messing around with problematic beers, yeah. um, and you know we, we've talked about the competition that they are providing for craft brewers. That you know I, I think you make a good point. Um, so there is going to be all of these pressures, and we, we, which I'll, I'll sort of step back to um, the the conference coverage. The one article I haven't written yet out of that zero Alk beer. Um, Zero alk beer demands pasteurizing.
2: Yep. I asked Ian that last week as well because I was like, come on then, what's your take? I know we've encountered a few in the past that don't pasteurize and he was like, you absolutely have to. Like, unequivocally do it.
0: If you're going to do the vacuum distillation method, I don't know that it's quite the same. But even Mm -hmm. then, they do add back flavoring, um, like in in, in the form of um, some beer aromas and flavors Mm -hmm. that means that there are still unfermented sugars. So, Potentially, it is because the pH and the lack of alcohol in the beer just make it – and and with, um, you know, lingering sugars, it's the perfect environment. And so when you speak to, you know, the the brewers, they just have said you absolutely have to be pasteurizing. If you speak to the – yeah, the the, the yeast um, producers who make the micro – you know, the the, the yeasts to do it, they say you should be pasteurizing. Um, And, you know, look – Little Creatures still doesn't pasteurize, is, is my understanding. They're pale ale, um, and there's been an ongoing debate, and you know, they, they've managed to make this amazing beer. So it's not mandatory that you, if you want to distribute your beer, you pasteurize, mm-hmm. but you have to have a very high level of skill to yeah. not do it. But we are going to increasingly see this triangulation of pressures. Um, alcohol-free beer, if you want to be in that space, you have to pasteurize Brewers that want to control their own production of that are going to be getting pasteurizers. The price of pasteurising is coming down. That's right. Um, and then also retailers are going to be demanding it. So,
1: And I, I be... expertise, I mean, because that's the other thing, right? You might go, I'm never going to pasteurise. Well, if you've never pasteurised and you've got no skills in pasteurising, you don't all of a sudden want to bring that into your brewery. And mm-hmm. so we are seeing um, some supply chain uh, partners in the country who are experts at setting you know, setting up pasteurisation, but we're seeing increasing numbers of uh, um, educational pieces around mm-hmm. no alk and things, and so you know the skill set there for people that have never done this but have maybe been brewing for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to develop alongside it, alongside the technology and the rollout of that, particularly from sort of supply chain folks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so uh, I, I didn't want to. I've gone down the rabbit hole on pasteurising, but that wasn't um, what I wanted to do. That was one <laughs> of the stories from the trade floor. But the really interesting—and uh, and can I say it's, it's almost impossible to cover a conference because there are so many conflicting um, things you want to go on. And then even when you sit there for forty-five minutes, if you transcribe a forty-five-minute conference lecture, um, you know it's going to be unreadable. Um, and so you try and pull out, and it, it's a really challenging um, task for a writer to pull out the interesting part of it without distorting or changing the the message that the person said. And hopefully with this, um, one that I did speak, quoting from Garrett Oliver and also Keith Filler, um, who used to be the head brewer for Blue Moon, um, who we've actually done a podcast with years and years and years and years ago, interesting guy, um, but as, every, as all of our listeners know, I've been grappling with what al- alcohol-free means and what its future is and whether it's going to be big and those sorts of things. And you know, I was sort of sitting there listening to people who were very much the same as me um, but had built businesses on it. So Garrett Oliver's insights were really interesting. I loved Him saying, I believe in alcohol, you know, I believe in fat and I believe in sugar, (laughs) all of the things that are, you know. They're not um, cool
2: anymore, but we still like them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He he said he doesn't eat fat free because those things are there for a reason. And of course, the problem is when salt is added at ridiculous and fat Mm, and things mm -hmm. like that. But, you know, and you need to take it in that context. And it was really interesting. But then he did find a use case for it, which was he got to have a beer with his team after work. Still, you you might Mm -hmm. notice that he didn't say that he's sitting there and chugging through alcohol-free beers instead of alcohol, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like where I'd come from. (laughs) But then listening to Keith Villa, um, who, again, is, I I guess, my age, um, you know, in, in, in his 50s, probably a little bit older. And he was talking about how his children don't drink alcohol or, you know, they talk about how alcohol is bad for you. but they smoke cannabis or they they take cannabis and, but then smoking is bad for you. And the insights that came through from that, um, it's not universal in the United States. There are some States, but there is a growing um, medicinal cannabis um, movement that we don't have here, but you can't have, um, you know, uh, THC in alcohol um, products. So it has to be alcohol free, Mm -hmm. but Having THC or CBD, which have different purposes, um, in alcohol free beer makes them functional in a different way to these nonsense, you know, isotonic beers and things like that that are just marketing. (laughs) Because it, it actually pays tribute to the fact that one of the reasons we drink alcohol is the slight, you know, altering. Um, impact that it has you know at small amounts and you know it's certainly problematic and it has a whole lot of problems when you drink it habitually or at in in high doses but the reason and I think that we're hardwired to is that slight altering impact that a small amount of alcohol has and if you take that out of beer I've always wondered what the reason for drinking beer is um, and acquiring the taste and that was where Keith's uh, you know saying that you know people still want to relax. They still want the, the, the it, it, it's not that this new generation of young drinkers doesn't want to get slightly altered the way that they always have, um, you know, just, and I, I mean that in, in, in a positive way, they just see alcohol as being problematic and, and, and bad for your health. Um, and, but Keith said something that was really, he goes, all societies toast and socialize over beverages you know we'll have communal meals but it's the clinking of glasses you know it's the bringing together of the liquid that is a thing that is so deeply ingrained in all of us and we don't do it with water in fact it's bad luck to toast with water at a wedding and, th- and things that, like that so I don't know. yeah yeah it, 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 it's really bad juju um or yeah you know, and, and, and it, 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 it's actually not the done thing um because it is actually the bringing together of, of, of the, the alcohol and there's a whole lot um, in, in that. So, you know, as he said, you know, if, if you're at a, even if you're not drinking, if you're at a wedding um, and you, you you want to join everybody and, you know, have like a little bit of THC or something like that, you're not going to eat gummies, you know. So <laughs> You can't um,
2: clink a gummy, can you? That's you, what he
0: said. You, you <laughs> don't toast over gummies. Yeah. yeah. So, over, you know, the little THC infused gummies. And I thought, <laughs> That's going, you know, that's a space that's going to be really, really interesting because and, and it really brought a whole lot of the you know, again some of the the nonsense that's being said around low alcohol beer um, or ultra low alcohol beer is that there is a market for this thing because people aren't drinking alcohol you know and, and that it's all about health. There is so much going on in the minds of consumers that isn't just about alcohol but is about alcohol, but you, just having a non-alcohol product isn't automatically going to replace that. Matt, um,
1: on the cannabis side, can I just ask whether um, they provided any statistics on whether the Oh, legal- I was going to say samples. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> um, whether, the, whether there were any statistics on the legalisation of cannabis um, reducing the craft beer market in those markets? Was there any data on that?
0: No, the 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 only data that I saw, and there was, and again, this is where you couldn't possibly get to everything. So I'm really looking forward to going through the program once the um, released version um, comes through. But uh, alcohol consumed as beer was declining. Alcohol being consumed as spirits was booming. So this whole idea yep. that people just aren't drinking just doesn't seem to be true. Um, we and saw some
1: data on that recently talking about that uh, in Australia, non-alc um, cocktails yep. was – so like really fancy cocktails was actually uh, – and in particular in the non-alc space was actually um, one of the larger players in the non-alc space in Australia. So See, that cocktail th- use, that cocktail mm. sort of go out for a fancy drink.
2: Um, I've actually looked at this before and used my – Um, uni credentials to uh, have a look at some research that's been done. And I've just found um, one of them that I looked at previously. And it's saying exactly what we're saying now, which is really interesting. Results suggest that alcohol and cannabis are not clearly substitutes nor complements to one another. Um, That is really key. And then there are a few categories of alcohol that do face a challenge when Cannabis Um, is is legalised recreationally. Yep. Um, So I think that will be really interesting. Obviously we're like a decade behind all that happening at least. Well, it's been
1: on my list for a while because um, in New Zealand, of course, uh, we were looking at it and there was a really great presentation that I saw from Lagunitas out of California Mm -hmm. who had done a whole lot of work way back when on um, THC but taking out the the, – like the psychoactive. The psycho, whatever the word is for the things that get you high, taking stripping that out but bringing the flavour into beer and lots of stuff, really starting to head, look at the market in terms of what was going to happen with cannabis mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to bring the two together. And, you know, Matt's talked about it in the context of non-alc but really trying to bring beer and craft beer and, and the cannabis industry. And the other side that I looked at it from New Zealand was, of course, hops growing and what does that mean for growing high-quality... Um, Cannabis, um, you know, given their, I was going to say
2: they're of the same sort of family, aren't they? Yeah, I wish
1: we had better terms for this. We need better horticulture terms, (laughs) agricultural terms, but in that same space. And I and I've seen some, um, you know, there's a researcher that I found recently who um, is now heading up medicinal a medicinal cannabis um group in new zealand uh who's an australian and so obviously new zealand's slightly ahead in terms of whether that's going to become legal or not but it is certainly a space to watch because you know once the medicinal comes out legalization you know as you say claire we might be a decade away from it but from a um technical understanding of this new space given that it plays in that recreational Mm -hmm. They might not be substitutes, but actually wouldn't it be great if they were complementary, mm-hmm. um, and, and thinking about that throughout our supply chain. So it's a huge space to watch for yeah. beer.
0: It's interesting that the alcohol-free cocktails. Um, so alcohol is being demonised. Um, you know, Certainly alcohol is being seen as evil, not being mind-altered, but being mind-altered through alcohol because of the negatives of alcohol. Mm-hmm. But at the same time – and, and – Maybe this is a bit of, you know, confirmation bias. You know, I've been saying for the length of my career that I hate this zero carb beer or the low carb beer push because it automatic and as part of a health trend, because it's still beer. And if you're saying this beer is better than other beers, you're essentially saying that the rest of the beer is bad for you. So with having the biggest players in the industry having spent twenty years telling the world that low-carb beer is better for you, which automatically means the rest of the beer industry. One of the interesting things that came out of the data um, from one of the presentations was that, um, and I I think it was the one on restaurant menus. Oh, Um, yeah,
2: mainstream beer.
0: Yeah. If if you put low-carb or, you know, light on any of your beers, you essentially write off an audience of anyone under 45 Mm -hmm. because it is seen as such an old person's beer. Um, And, that's what we've created. We've created this perception in a world where alcohol is being demonized. We've created a perception that beer is the worst form of alcohol. And I've seen a run of stories in my newsfeed recently talking about what are the worst forms of alcohol and spirits um, is seen as a better form of alcohol yeah. wow. um, and better for you than than beer. And so in a zero-alcohol world, you know, beer is still going to be beer. Beer is still going to have the negative perception of being fattening and things that zero alk spirits are and I, I you know beer is going to have a whole lot of headwinds that it's sailing into particularly the more that spirits um you know takes a hold in our market because um they just there are so many social and market you know there's so many um perceptions about beer that are weighing it down um that you know i, I think is really troubling
1: hmm. well if you want to um Beat down those perceptions about beer. (laughs) Be less less troubled. Be less troubled by beer because you know that your product is exceptional (laughs) and because we understand the importance of quality beer. Maybe you should think about Dixon Asia Pacific.
0: Yes, Sabrina. Yes. Well, because, not, not, not just because they're Dixon, but because they supply all of the technical flow products. Yes. You need to brew a good beer from hose and hose assemblies, and that is a major uh, pinch point for quality in, in brewing, uh, to valves, accessories, fittings, and more. If you need product advice, technical service, or training, you can contact Dixon as they have product specialists that can help you with this and more. There is a link in the show notes
1: thank you Matt for picking up what I was trying to put down there that was a tough segue (laughs) I have to say um so now as we think about um you know travel uh we're going to hear some comments from our mailbag and our mailbag is thanks to NZL trail head to www.nzltrail.com or at NZ ale trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand and as at 30 July you no longer have pre-departure um testing requirements to head to New yep. Zealand so that get over there so it looks like it might be more achievable than ever excellent um so yeah Claire
2: mailbag we had a lovely email uh from Byron Lots. uh Hopsters. Hopsters. Yeah. Hopsters. Lovely. Uh Byron says, Hey guys, Sabrina is a fantastic addition to the team. I should have made you I <laughs> should th- have made you. Weren't we skipping this, this bit? Uh not all of it. Okay. <laughs> I'm no. gonna say that bit. Okay. <laughs> Byron's lovely to us. Um but we're not that vain. Um, so thanks, Byron, <laughs> for that. Um, he goes on to say, I guess you mainly deal with breweries, but bars are part of the process and my question towards them. I have a couple of hobby horses of my own. I was wondering if heritage listings have played a role in any breweries or bars that you know of and who controls such things. In my case, it has led to some restrictions and extra cash needed to be spent because we were told to do so. Has Fair got an architectural branch or something? <laughs> 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 so, uh Resin Brewing in I New just South Wales. Say, didn't you recently? Uh, yes, and I recently did a Beer as a Conversation, which will be on your podcasting apps in the next couple of weeks. Resin Brewing is in an old heritage building. Uh, they bought it off Woolies. It was in an absolute state. They won an award for it. But yes... There were problems. There was huge. It cost so much money. They had termites. It was a nightmare. However, they did build a separate building behind the heritage listing for uh, heritage building for the brewery. So they didn't necessarily have the issues um, of bringing basically an industrial site into a heritage building. Mountain culture in Katoomba. Their uh, original brew pub, that was also heritage listed. Uh, another huge reno. Um, so basically what I've found is that conventionally brewers don't go into heritage listed buildings because of the massive amount of expense. You're already spending a huge amount on your brew kit and your equipment and kidding it all out and getting your floors poured and all this kind of stuff. You don't necessarily want to be thinking about uh, not hurting a heritage listed building, potentially getting penalised for that. However... The guys from Resin did say that um, unlike a lot of breweries that we see uh, in the planning phases, because the council saw that they were trying to do something uh, in keeping with the heritage um, building, they got their approvals done in six months, Mm. which is almost unheard of.
1: Well, it's really interesting because um, you think about – so we're – might we see a growth in craft in terms of the markets in Australia that mm-hmm. haven't been reached? And you think smaller regional towns mm-hmm. that um, are increasingly looking for jobs to, jobs for young people, reasons to stay in town, new hospitality and sometimes those heritage buildings. Utilising those heritage buildings in those regional centres um, is actually – would really be a huge positive net benefit mm-hmm. to those local towns and yet Absolutely. the cost – them so actually you know uh to byron's point you know it can be really really difficult Mm -hmm. but if you can get the local council on board or your local regional partners on board with the positive contribution to the local community and build that relationship Mm -hmm. and if they get it like they did in the raisin case you might see that you can actually um head some of that off but save yourself a
2: little bit of money along the way Mm -hmm. um and something else i we've been looking at um i'm will be out in the coming months is about funding so I know that there are smaller much smaller funds available um if you're looking at uh revamping and renovating uh derelict and you know near mind you that's a huge job that's like a massive job so it's whether you really want to take it on because like Baron says you know there are going to be expenses that are above and beyond a brewery that you've put in an industrial zone like that's just that's yep. just a fact. Um, so it's whether you think it's worth it, and um, you know, it's all about what you want to do with your place as well. Do you want to make it a beautiful venue, destination brew pub type thing? Are you happy with it being a production brewery? Yeah, um, you know, with a tap room. Like oh, it, it is all dependent on what you want to have for your business model
0: as well.
1: So we are running fairly long, but is there any other news that anyone wants to bring up before we sign off for the week?
0: Just very quickly on. Because last week you guys talked about the feral um, non-sale. Yes. Yeah. Which was very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, But there was a story this week that um, Casella, which owns Yenda. Yes, I saw
1: that.
0: And they're selling 35 vineyards. (laughs) But I just want – there's a figure that leapt out at me. They were talking about – the latest financial accounts for Casella show it posted revenue of 518.38 million for the, 220 financial year, for the 2020 financial year, up from 491 million in. So they make Yellowtail, you know, uh-huh. that great export yeah. uh, wine. But it was interesting. So they bought back, they were in partnership with Coca Cola European yes. Partners yep. um, mm-hmm. or Coca Cola for the Australian beer co and they bought it back um, because they bought this or built this from memory $60 million brewery almost a decade ago and it just never really gone anywhere with Yenda. Yep. But it was interesting to see uh, that they're talking about new brands. like They'd been doing contract brewing um, and yep. increasingly contract brewing, including for breweries such as Stone and Wood. But apparently they're looking at doing um, some you know more focus on beer and seltzer. So whether mm. that's going to be their own, um, so watch this space. That'll be something that I'll be uh, keeping an eye on.
1: And the comments for, uh, on everybody um, on in the Facebook group around Feral and particularly those in WA who kind of said it never really left and mm-hmm. talked about the timing. Which They've, is what
2: Ian said, doesn't he? He's like, we probably don't know because it's in channels that we wouldn't necessarily have eyes on as a East Coast type people, yeah. um, which is fair. A- and somebody yeah, had uh,
1: talked about the timing um, and, in fact, the experiences that I was sort of quoting back was from one of the folks who had been with the marketing team at Feral. Or when it launched, um, their feelings about how it had succeeded or not. Um, and so, you know, it's really interesting and what's always helpful and what's great about that um, Brews News Group, to your point, Matt, about diversity of, you know, thoughts and opinions and even like geographical experiences within Australia, it's always mm. important. So it's so great to get that feedback in there so that, you know. Feral people-
0: is such a strong and beloved brand in WA, but it just hasn't – and that was the whole point of Coca-Cola – buying it was to try and make it a national product but of course they took this really iconic craft brand and then just tried to sell it into. you know and and this sounds judgmental um but you know if you walk into a you know strip mall restaurant um that's got the coca-cola brand coffee you know coca-cola the what is it mountain springs water you know the, the the spirits range from From Coke, And then you had Feral and then you had Coors because they were also distributing, I think they had Coors or they, you know, and it just wasn't a fit. Um, And it just showed the hubris um, of of Coca-Cola in thinking that, well, we've got this distribution power, but it also shows the strength of the Feral brand that they were able to maintain the strength of the brewery, even though CCA dropped the ball. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just hope it continues to go from strength to strength.
1: Looking forward to having some nice and fresh in about a month's time and I'm Mm -hmm. sure you can Mm. experience some feral at WA Beer Week. So that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Claire Burnett and the intrepid Matt Kierkegaard. (laughs) (laughs) The show is produced by Vivian Topalovic and edited by Joe Helder. We thank... Cryer Malt, Rawlings Label Stickers and Packaging, Dixon Asia Pacific, NZ Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode possible. Uh, thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service and we're out. Boom.